It's Thursday, October 12th, 2017. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. We are privileged today to have uh, a guy and a pastor that I have really admired from afar. Uh, this is our first day to get to meet each other. And we're not even face-to-face. We're over a computer screen. Uh, but just such a, an honor to have uh, Pastor John Owechekwa here with us today on the Defender Podcast. And, and he and his wife have planted a church recently, Cornerstone Church, and they worship in the West End of, of Atlanta. Uh, John is a, is a graduate of Baylor University, and he and his wife just over the years have, have really sought out to care for the fatherless and to, to care for the orphan and the widow. And six months ago, uh, he and Chandra were able to adopt uh, a precious little baby girl. And so, John, thank you so much for joining us on the Defender Podcast. And can you just tell us a little bit about your and, and, and Chandra's journey towards adoption and even just the beautiful culmination several months ago of bringing your daughter home? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, first of all, man, honored to be a part of this show. Thanks for the invite. Um, yeah, I mean, with me and Chandra, we... Uh, uh, we got married in 2007, the fall of 07. So we're getting ready to come up on our 10 year. Um, so, man, really, you know, we're 23 years old and married. Um, shortly after marriage, yeah, I'm talking like three months, we were ready to, you know, have kids and start to add to our family. Um, and uh, it just turned out that our plans weren't God's plans. Mm. Uh, so, you know, we tried and, you know, didn't have any luck. And we were told by all the folks like, nah, it's fine. You know, everybody goes through this. And, um, so, uh, man, the hard thing was like, you know, 23 years old, you know, I'm a pastor and we have all of our friends that are getting married, uh, uh, here in the same time frame. And over the course of the next uh, four years, I think, maybe four years, uh, we probably have, and this is not hyperbole, uh, probably 15 conversations with our friends who, you know, we get the phone call from them and it's like, yo, we're pregnant. <sighs> what are we going to do? We didn't. We weren't trying to and that. So it's like like 15, like where we're constantly saying our kids are a blessing, kids are a blessing. I'm trying our best to encourage them, you know, all the while, you know, we have family that, you know, that's not married. Uh, uh, and it just seems like everybody's having babies, like back to back to back. And it seems like some people are starting to have kids every like six weeks. And in our mind, we're like, that's not even possible. How do you have all of these kids? And, um, but this whole time, you know, we're trying, we're trying, we're trying, you know, we go to doctors and they're all like, it, it's just unexplained infertility. And so from this standpoint, it's like, oh, there's nothing that's wrong. Uh, sometimes this just takes place. And so that was, discouraging because you almost want to know like, you know, like tell me what the problem is so, so that we can fix it. And with them, it's like, like there is no problem. 
problem. There's no way to fix it. Um, so, you know, we started in 07 and, um, you know, from the time we got married, we knew that we wanted to adopt and we just thought, oh, all right, we'll have natural kids first and then we'll adopt at the end. Well, you know, after about, you know, four and a half years of being married, it's like, all right, um, hey, it seems like that the Lord wants us to adopt. So we started in January of 2012 trying to adopt, and our heart was, all right, we want to adopt the kid through the foster care system because everybody wants babies and young kids, and nobody wants the kids that are, you know, like like three years old to eight years old, and nobody wants a sibling group. And we were told, hey, if you're trying to adopt the kid through the foster care system, uh, if you say that you don't care about age or race or sibling groups and things will move really, really quick. And so we said, Hey, age, race, it really doesn't matter. We'll take up to three kids at one time and they can be up to eight years old. And it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, you know, physical difficulties, social things and all that. And we thought that it would move quick. And we found ourselves, um, for four and a half years uh, in the process, trying to adopt through the state of Georgia with nothing. So, I mean, we threw off every restraint that they told us to, and we had four and a half years of just, you know, balls getting dropped through the state, you know, uh, a group that we were with that was state-funded, lost funds, and then the back and forth of trying to, um, yeah, make it work. And so, man, um, so it was five and a half years total of us just being caught in the system. And managers got to a place where we're like, well, we've come to grips with the fact that we won't have any natural kids of our own. It seems like that's what's in the deck for us. But then we sort of asked, man, like we're trying to adopt. It seemed like it seems like God really doesn't want us to have any kids, period. And um, so we were on vacation a little uh, more than a year ago and just prayed and said, hey, we're, we're going to pick things back up. Um, uh, my brother died April of 2015. Hmm. Uh, I sank into a depression and um, we put the adoption stuff on hold. And then 2016, we're on vacation. We decided to pick it back up. And, we come back home and um, yeah, my wife has a meeting with a friend um, and the friend was like, hey, we really have a heart for y'all to adopt. Like y'all have just been on our heart and um, we have a heart for, um, man, African-American families that want to adopt and we just want to do our part to help. And so they're like, hey, there's an agency that we work with, uh, that we've gone through, that we love them. Um, I know that y'all have gone through the state, but here, if y'all would think about an infant adoption, get a chance to go through that, think about it. If it seems good to y'all, we'll foot the bill. So we just kind of stepped back and was it blown away. And uh, so we went to the classes last fall. Um, and then April of this year, you know, it was a Saturday morning. My wife uh, gets a call from our caseworker and our caseworker is like, hey, there's a 
is a mom that, you know, had a daughter and mm. the baby was born premature and she knows that she can't take care of her. Uh, but one thing that they do know is they want, there's two things that they want. They want an African-American family that loves the Lord. And uh, would you all be willing to show your book? This was, you know, a Saturday. And we're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Monday morning at noon, we get the call saying, when do you want to go and meet your daughter? And so that, you know, at that point, it was just surreal. Um, and it, yeah, you know, my wife comes home, you know, tears, you know, we're crying, it's not everywhere. Um, we, we get in a car and drive down to see her and spend the next three weeks with her while she's in the NICU. Um, you know, she was born three and a half pounds. Um, she comes home three weeks later at four pounds. And mm. um, yeah, that was, you know, six months ago. And now she is uh, beautiful. Uh, she's sleep right now, <laughs> but she's yeah, big, growing. Um, and she's just, yeah, yeah been a godsend um, to us. So yeah, that's our... Sure. I mean, yeah, nine and a half years of praying and waiting. And we've seen, you know, what Charles Spurgeon said to be true, that these like unanswered prayers and prayers that have these prolonged answers are like ripened fruit. And we just feel like, yeah, we've been praying for years and years and years. And, uh, God just kind of kept, kept her on the vine for us. And, uh, yeah, now that we have her, I mean, she's, yeah. God is good. Creation testifies to his goodness, but uh, Ava has testified to God's goodness in a unique way for us. Amen. Yeah, that's our story. Amen. Wow. What a, what an encouragement to, to know that even when, even when things don't go as quickly as we hope that, right. as you said, God is still good through the weight, through the times. And he perfectly knew that, that Ava needed you and Chandra to be her mom and her dad. And, yes that weight prepared you for that. And, and I know that's really kind of the story of your life, right? A lot of, a lot of waiting in preparation for something that God would call you to. And you were at blueprint church in Atlanta for a long time. And several years ago, the Lord called you out to plant a new church yeah. and to, to plant cornerstone church in the West end of Atlanta. Yeah. And I know that has been, just a journey. And I, I think you said for Christianity today, some time ago that you don't go in to plant a church, you go in to a place to plant the gospel. And, mm -hmm. and I know that's hard and challenging. And especially in this day and age, even in today's time, having a multicultural church and a multi-ethnic congregation can be challenging. So what, I guess, two part question as a, as a pastor of a racially diverse church, how have you seen that diversity first be used as an avenue for the gospel? And then what are some real challenges of a multi-ethnic congregation? And how can we be praying for you in that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, man, just, yeah, one of the beautiful things is just one of the clearest, uh, uh, it's one of the clearest apologetics to the truth of the gospel that we've seen here in the world. I mean, um, I went to Israel last fall and I'm not much of a sightseer. So like, you know, the temples, the statues, the like Mount, the Sea of Galilee, like those things really didn't do it for me uh, because I felt like I've seen them all on Google already. <laughs> but the thing that did it for me was like, man, as we go to like 
the place that they suspect to be, you know, the tomb site, uh, the garden where he prayed. Um, just seeing like, like, man, like, you know, Asian people and Brazilian and Chinese and Korean and African and white and Middle Eastern and like, you name it, like you just see every ethnicity of people there and you just kind of step back and say, man, like, this is one thing that makes Christianity unique from every other religion. Like, if you talk about what a Hindu looks like, there's a picture that comes in your mind. You talk about uh, what a Buddhist looks like, uh, you know, what a Muslim looks like. There's a there's an ethnic picture that comes into your mind. But when you talk about what a Christian looks like, uh, there is none of that. Like, Christianity is not tribal. Like, it is diverse. And so I just sat back and you just sit back and think like if there really was a God that didn't favor a group of people over anybody else and wanted to create a family where he showed that he loved all his creation the same, uh, it, it would have to be the God of Christianity. And mm -hmm. so I think um, that yeah, what's really dope is to be in the context that we're in that um, is a predominantly black side of town but to have a diverse church where on Sundays, it, like folks come in and people are used to seeing, you know, a white church or a black church, but to just walk in and to see like, man, man there's, there's black and white folks here in good representation. Um, it's just a clear picture that there's something yeah, greater than just our cultural preferences and biases that unite us. So the beauty is that, man, it creates a great apologetic. It creates intrigue in the side of folks' mind because they come in and they're like, all right, what's really go going on here that uh, these people all gather together and they seem to genuinely like one another? Um, so that's been where it's been great. Um, here's where it's been hard. Um, you know, it's been hard on a few fronts, uh, especially in the political cycle that, uh, we've just been through and the world we're starting to live in right now. Uh, one of the things that we found is that like um, when you do have a church that's like that, uh, a diverse church, um, uh, while it is a seedbed that provides a great apologetic for the gospel, it's also like a, a seedbed where a lot of um, suspicion can grow up. Um, mm. And uh, it's funny, like, uh, communication is tough. There's a landmine, right? Like, you can't throw out phrases or words or sentences that are carelessly thought through and, and then at the end be like, well, y'all know what I'm saying. You know what I was trying to get at because every... Like, cause yeah, cause you don't have just like the whole church is not made up of people that share the same vantage point of background. So it just leads to like lots of misunderstanding, lots of clarity, lots of, I know that you think that I said that, but let me help you. Uh, yeah. Like, let me help you un understand what I mean or um, not feeling like, we have to clarify or play both sides whenever we call out an evil. Um, that's a big challenge because I think, yeah, you know, especially in the, the life of the church, 
with people that have more of a conservative theological background. Um, it's easy to call out the prosperity gospel and prosperity theology and other things that may find a prevalence um, amongst the minority group and feel justified in that. Um, but then it's like when we do spend time and call out or pray for um, a white nationalism that exists in our country that um, underhandedly tries to co-opt itself with Christianity, uh, people can get offended and feel like, well, you, you called out the white folks, but you didn't talk about the other people on this side. And it's like, well, that's not, yeah, if, if, if you put the burden on calling out every evil that exists, um, each time you call it out, you're just gonna, it's gonna be a headache and conversation. And so uh, navigating through like, like, like all of those landmines and being a church that is predominantly African American and having a, a lot of people that are a part of our church uh, both ways. You know, we got folks in our church that are used to being the minority in the church. And now for the first time, they're the majority in the church and trying to help them see all, uh, all right. Like now's not the time to do what you feel like was done to you when you were the minority. Mm -hmm. um, or we have folks that are used to being the majority in the church and now they find themselves as the minority in the church. And what comes up is like, yeah, everybody wants diversity until you're the minority. And then you're like, man, there's parts of this thing like sucks. Like I hate being here and not getting the jokes. I hate being here and feeling like I'm left out and not thought through. And so it's like really trying to help everybody yeah, just kind of see life through the other person's perspective and reminding us that whether we're the minority or the majority in a context, we do have gospel obligations to treat our brothers and sisters with love. And yeah, so the main thing is just there's landmines everywhere. There, it is, there is not a conversation that doesn't have landmines. Well, we have enjoyed this first part of our interview with John Onwachekwa. Please join back tomorrow on Friday, October 13th for part two of this interview and be encouraged as John speaks gospel truth in the way that we can reconcile between each other, but also how we can continue with the gospel to care for orphans. Thank you for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.